engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. We've got a weather sandwich, if you will. This is technical meteorological terms. Trust me, I'm an expert. I watch YouTube videos. <laughs> now, uh, I was going to start off with the Brian Kemp situation, but there are two things I need to bring to your attention uh, first that I think actually are important and otherwise will get ignored. The first is that today is the anniversary of the surrender at Appomattox. Uh, when General Grant and General Lee got together, and the Confederacy surrendered to the Union troops. We became one nation again today uh, in 1865. But this, I think, is worth pointing out separately, unrelated to that. Uh, today, Dick Cole has died. And most of you probably do not recognize that name. And I wish everyone did recognize his name. He is an important, important figure in American history, he was one of the members of the Doolittle Raiders. Uh, back during World War II, after Pearl Harbor bombed, or after Pearl Harbor bombed, after Japan bombed Pearl Harbor, the uh, Doolittle Raiders got together under the command of a man named Doolittle. They stripped down bombers to be able to make them light enough to take off from an aircraft carrier. They trained and trained and stripped as much weight as possible, knowing they were going to make a one-way flight. The Japanese Imperial Army had convinced the Japanese emperor and citizenry that Japan, Imperial Japan, the heart of Imperial Japan, was absolutely untouchable, that they had expanded the empire so far, had taken over so many islands, there was no way anyone could touch them, that the heart of Japan would be invulnerable. So the Doolittle Raiders needed to deliver a psychological blow to Japan after Japan had delivered a psychological blow to the United States. They took off on an aircraft carrier on a one-way trip with no air support to bomb Japan. And they did and landed in China only because they had a tailwind. They were prepared to bail out of their planes, sacrificing their planes just to be able to bomb Tokyo. And they did. They were successful. And over the years, they have been dying. Dick Cole is the last of the Doolittle Raiders to die today at age 103. A real American hero, even though he may not be a name that you are familiar with. It's worth noting. Now, let's get to the news of the day. Brian Kemp sat down this morning exclusively with Scott Slade. He talked about a couple of things. One, he said he's going to sign the fetal heartbeat legislation. He really doesn't believe that there is going to be massive economic disruption, as some in Hollywood have threatened. But also, he said, you know, Georgia's going to side with life. Before he got into that with Scott Slade this morning, though, in Atlanta's Morning News, he talked about health care impact. I want to play you some of that interview right now. We have a lot of work to do. I'm very appreciative of the legislature, you know, really giving me that executive branch authority, which the governor had at one point, and then it was taken away, and now it's been given back. And I, I certainly understand uh, the trust that they've given me. I've promised them that we'll move forward with the waivers. Uh, to figure out how we can innovate our current Medicaid program so that we can do a better job spending the dollars that we have and have a better delivery system. Because right, what we have right now is not working. We don't have enough health care delivery folks in rural parts of our state uh, to take care of the patients that we have, much less add new people 
to the role, which is going to be very expensive. So I'm excited about getting down to, to work to do that. We're um, in the process of going through the procurement now to hire consultants for the Medicaid innovation waiver, but also um, a waiver to Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act so that we can focus on lowering private sector health insurance plans. Now, what he's talking about is, if you'll recall, when Nathan Deal ran against Jason Carter, there was some worry that perhaps Jason Carter could beat Nathan Deal. Nathan Deal's polling wasn't doing very well at the time. So the legislature slipped the uh, stripped the governor of his power to make health care deals and get health care waivers and accept or reject Obamacare by himself. It would require legislative approval. Well, now that Brian Kemp has won, the legislature has restored the power to the governor to be able to do these things. And in so doing, the governor wants to carve out an exception from Obamacare. There are some other necessary things he's got to do along the way, but they're making uh, progress on that front. Governor Kemp was also asked by Scott Slade in this interview this morning about the fetal heartbeat legislation. He, he said a lot of things want to play you that. I'm going to stop along the way and, and talk over some of what he said. Got a long clip here, but got to give some commentary Got to ask it. you about this. And your intention to sign the Life Act, Governor, also known as the Heartbeat Abortion Bill. What are you thinking about that? And, uh, the critics are warning of dire consequences if you do. Well, I don't believe there'll be dire consequences for value in life in our state. I certainly support that at the heartbeat. The legislature had a long debate on that. A lot of people say it was rushed through. It was not rushed through. It's been, been thoroughly vetted and debated, and I'm supportive of that. But I think it really speaks to our values in Georgia um, for life quite honestly and it's you know the the abortion issue is a very tough issue i understand that people have different feelings about that and and in today's world of politics it's almost like we can't disagree anymore uh but you know even if you don't agree with the legislation that was passed you can certainly agree that we value life in our state we're doing a lot of other things to value life going after human trafficking and sex trafficking my wife marty has gotten very involved in that the by the way, let me just stop here and, and say it is helpful to note, if you'll recall, that Jen Jordan from the Senate Democrats are saying that this legislation actually will kill people, uh, will kill women. She's actually made that claim on TV. So it's good for the governor to keep reiterating that the, the life legislation actually supports life. And then this transition into human trafficking, deeply popular among evangelicals in the state, but not just evangelicals. There are a growing number of people concerned about this issue, recognizing the Southeast has a problem and is very smart the governor's put his wife in charge of a commission on this slater passed a bill this year uh, to go after these folks harder than we are now there's been hardly any talk about that uh and but there is all kind of talk about the the life act which which is really kind of that's just the way politics works but she's got has put together the grace commission so we want to continue the heroic efforts quite honestly from federal state and local authorities during the super bowl week to make a big den in sex trafficking to try to and he went on from there basically talking about the, the fetal heartbeat legislation. He was spot on the money on this. Uh, the governor does have a very interesting message as a lot of people tried to bind him to just being exclusively about the fetal heartbeat legislation and, and ignoring the human trafficking legislation as well as the health care reform. It was a great interview with Scott Slade, which is why you should really stick around and like listen to me in the evening and come back for Scott in the morning because we cover all the stuff pretty thoroughly. I have a napping pillow. I know it sounds odd, but I have a pillow, and when I take a nap, 
I nap with it. In fact, you know, I've mentioned the call map to you guys. When I nap, sometimes I'll use the call map and this pillow makes it fantastic. It is my butterfly pillow. 63% of Americans sleep on their sides. And, you know, if you go to the store, you'll see really firm pillows, somewhat firm pillows, soft pillows. Well, my butterfly pillow gives you support in the places you need it most. It keeps your neck and your spine in alignment throughout the night, even if you switch sides. My butterfly pillow has patented sleep technology. It elevates your head to where you need it. It includes a place even to fit your arm and a pillow and a pillow for your ear. It's soft, it's comfortable, even if you stay in one position all night. And the height, this is what I particularly love, the height of my butterfly pillow is adjustable. It also has Bluetooth adapted night owl speakers so you can listen to music sounds or even a smart TV. Listeners to my program, The Eric Erickson Show, this here podcast can save $30 off the list price of $129. Use code Eric, E-R-I-C-K, at checkout and you'll get My Butterfly Pillow for just $99 and free shipping in the continental U.S. Go to MyButterflyPillow.com and enter code Eric at checkout to save $30 Get free shipping. That's MyButterflyPillow.com. The checkout code is Eric. And yes, I had a nap this afternoon before recording this here podcast ad. And I used my butterfly pillow. I turned on the call map and I slept a hard sleep for 30 minutes. You know, it was one of those naps where you you actually, it's enough time, but not so long that you wake up super groggy. I was refreshed. It was relaxing. It was great. All thanks to my butterfly pillow. Go to MyButterflyPillow.com. Use the checkout code ERIC. I want to play a quick soundbite from Josh Hawley. Josh Hawley is the former Attorney General of uh, Missouri. He is now a United States Senator. He took to the floor of the Senate today to blast Yale University, which is uh, forcing Christian groups out of its law school. Fundamentalism, this new intolerance and bigotry does not recognize the right to be wrong. In fact, it wants to eliminate the right to be wrong. It wants to say that, no, we all have to agree. We all have to share now Yale's view of what an appropriate religious mission is. We now have to share Yale's view of what students should be doing with their time. We have to share Yale's view of what our deeply held beliefs, religious or otherwise, should be. This sort of fundamentalism insists on a monochromatic, view of the world, that we all believe the same thing, that we all act in the same way, that we all behave as the way our elites want us to behave. Well, I- yeah, well said. It is a new fundamentalism, and I want to talk about that when we come back in the form of Pete Buttigieg. Continuing to watch the storm develop out west of the city over I-20, Pete Buttigieg. I'm saying his name right. Uh, Siri calls him Pete Butterjudge. Pete Buttigieg. He's been going around attacking Mike Pence, saying that uh, if Mike Pence, uh, Pete Buttigieg, he's the uh, late 30-something mayor in Indiana who's running for governor or for president, and he's gay and married. He's also Episcopalian. 
And Buttigieg says that uh, Mike Pence needs to, your people need to be more tolerant. He says that Mike Pence, if he's got a problem with it, his problems with uh, Buttigieg's creator, on and on it goes. Uh, Mike Pence hasn't said anything about Pete Buttigieg. Hasn't said a thing about him. Buttigieg, however, continues to attack Mike Pence and Donald Trump. In fact, he said that Donald Trump doesn't act like someone who truly believes in God. He said that, and Chuck Todd on MSNBC asked him about that, which actually made for some interesting headlines yesterday. And it also makes you wonder about what Pete Buttigieg actually believes, because he originally said he can't, he's not going to judge the president on his faith, but now is very much taking the position of, of, you know, we need to say the president doesn't behave like someone who believes in God. But wait, there's more. I gotta, there, there's a punchline to this. You got to listen to the whole audio, though. You said something rather strong about the president that you said it's hard to look at his actions and believe that they are the actions of somebody who believes in God. How do you square that assessment with the fact that the evangelical Christian community is so devoted to his candidacy? Well, it's uh, it's something that really frustrates me because the hypocrisy is unbelievable. Here you have somebody who uh, not only acts in a way that is not consistent with anything that I hear in Scripture or in church, where it's about uh, lifting up the least among us and taking care of strangers, which is another word for immigrants, uh, and making sure that you're focusing your effort on the poor, but also personally how you're supposed to conduct yourself. Mm-hmm. Not- I'm curious on abortion. Um, I know what your position is, but how do you have a conversation about it? This is a moral question. It's not going to be settled by science. And so the best way for it to be settled in practice is by the person who actually faces the choice. And when a woman is facing uh, this decision in her life, I think uh, in terms of somebody besides her who can most be useful in that, the answer to that would be a doctor not a male government official uh, imposing his interpretation of his religion. All right. So, listen, I'm about to offend a lot of you. Be prepared. I've been getting hate mail for the last 24 hours on this. Uh, Pete Buttigieg is an Episcopalian. And the Episcopal Church isn't really Christian these days. I don't know about Buttigieg. Maybe he is. Uh, but the church he goes to isn't. In fact, it's, it's uh, not only light on doctrine, it's opposed to fundamental tenets of Christianity these days. And Buttigieg, of course, is a, a gay man in a, who is married and supports abortion on demand. So if he's going to say, as he said, that Donald Trump, uh, his direct quote, this is from him, not me, it is hard to look at his actions and believe they are the actions of someone who believes in God. Uh, what's good for the goose is good for the gander on this point. But what is so notable here is that Buttigieg is making a play for the progressive Christian. And I use air quotes when I say uh, Christian after the word progressive because uh, they're basically spiritualized atheists at this point. And he's trying to build the case within the media that there is a different Christianity than the Christianity that has existed since Jesus Christ died on a cross around 33 AD, which reminds me, uh, shout out for the Good Friday show coming up uh, in two weeks, I guess, or next Friday. But what we're seeing here is the left finally finding someone who can talk about God. Whether or not he actually believes in the God of the Bible uh, he, he, that's between him and God. Although, although his words suggest maybe he understands it no more than no better than Donald Trump. But 
progressives have been trying to find someone who can connect at a spiritual level with people because increasingly they don't believe it. They don't buy it. They don't want to talk that way. So here comes Buttigieg who says, hey, I'm married. I'm gay. I believe in abortion on demand and I go to church. Well, pay no attention to which church he goes to. But he can talk God and he can quote scripture and he has favorite verses. Remember, uh, the left loves to talk about these favorite verses and they're always don't judge. Judge not lest ye be judged and take care of the least of these, uh, just not the children. What I find deeply troubling here is the media is not just ignorant on religion, but they want to believe this. They want to believe that there can be a Christianity that doesn't involve a guy dying on a cross, rising in from the dead, and that uh, because he has done things for you, obligates you to do certain things if you believe they, they they don't like that because they want to be held for accountable for sin i mean the audio i just played a buttigieg he says that donald trump in his professional life does not take care of the poor and the refugees therefore he acts like someone who doesn't believe in god but oh abortion that's a moral issue not a scientific issue and we can't legislate our morality he wants to have it both ways he wants to have it both ways in the same way a lot of trump supporters want to have it both ways and that let's take care of the baby screw the refugees now, both sides doing the exact same thing, picking and choosing what parts of Scripture they like. Maybe that makes you half a Christian. I don't know. But the part, the point here is that this guy is trying to claim to be a Christian, saying that the president isn't behaving like one, and he's not behaving like one either. But when you point it out on his side, the media gets really upset about it. They like it when you point out the president doesn't behave like a, a repentant believer who is convicted of his sins. But with Buttigieg, uh, no, if you say he hadn't repented, well, you're just a bigot. There's a double standard in the media, even on this. We have more rain moving into the listening area. I'm sorry to be the bearer of bad news here. When we come back, we need to take your phone calls. 404-872-0750. 1-800-WSB-TALK. We also need to talk about... The president and what's happening at DHS, his child separation policy, and the attorney general of the United States saying that there is a crisis at the border. Also, let's discuss this issue. We've already seen a number of 2020 Democrats who have agreed that they want to have this reparations commission uh, to get established should they get elected. What are your thoughts on this as far as going forward, and will this be addressed at the uh, issues retreat? I don't know that anybody at the issues retreat is running for president. So, um, But, look, I, my own view of it is uh, that I, I think Mayor Pete actually um, articulated this the, really well, and that is, look, we have got to deal with the results of of institutional racism, historic racism in this country, and we have to have policies that focus on those like a laser uh, to bring equality and justice for, for that conduct. And, you know, there, there are a number of ways we can do that. There are a number of ways we are already doing that. We need to really increase those investments, but we've got to address this issue head on. Slave reparations. Democrats running for president, all on board the idea of slavery reparations. Uh, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, and Bernie Sanders. Pete Buttigieg is taking the position that we got to do something to address institutional racism in this country, but maybe not necessarily reparations. Well, good idea or not, 
let you try. I suspect I know what most of you are going to say, um, but it actually is a terrible idea. And I want to walk you through why it actually is a bad idea when we come back. After the hour and the rain is intensifying in parts of the listing area. Um, by the way, I'm getting hate mail in right now from uh, all sorts of people. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yes, I am getting hate mail from people over the um, remarks I made about Episcopalianism. I got to tell you, um, if you're in the Episcopal Church and you want to actually go to a good Christian church, find the Anglican churches. Uh, there are some great ones. Um, Loganville has a great one. Uh, the Snellville area has a great one. I mean, just all over the place. Uh, Roswell, uh, you name it. There are some great ones. So find an Anglican church. Uh, if, if you're in the Episcopal church, don't send me hate mail. Just go find yourself an Anglican church and you'll be happy. You'll feel at home and you'll actually hear like the Bible. Now we need to get into the president's Views of child detention. Jake Tapper from CNN is reporting that the president wants to separate children from families. Stephen Miller, apparently, I'm told, has convinced the president that he needs to separate children from families again, that that is a strong deterrent. The president is looking for a deterrent. All of this is about the president trying to find a deterrent. He is deeply unhappy with what's happening on the southern border. He doesn't see an end to it. He thinks the Department of Homeland Security badly handled the situation. He's purged. And now they're saying it's not a purge, but it's a purge, folks. When you're firing everybody at the top of the Department of Homeland Security, it's a purge. And he doesn't know what to do. And so that's why he is wanting to separate families with the advice of some of the White House egging him on. Now, let me play the president's audio on uh, the Obama administration versus his administration. President Obama separated the children. Those cages that were shown, I think they were very inappropriate. They were built by President Obama's administration, not by Trump. President Obama had child separation. Take a look. The press knows it. You know it. We all know it. I didn't have, I'm the one that stopped it. President Obama had child separation. Now I'll tell you something. Once you don't have it, that's why you see many more people coming. They're coming like it's a picnic because let's go to Disneyland. President Obama separated children. They had child separation. I was the one that changed it. Okay, thank you very much. <laughs> okay, believe it or not, he's telling the truth. Barack Obama is the one who came up with the idea of child separation. My favorite fact check of all time probably used to be the that Barack Obama was telling the truth, that, that if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor, and Republicans were wrong. They had to retract that one. My, my, my new favorite fact check is the Associated Press today actually fact-checked this statement and said that Barack Obama did not have a child separation policy. The president was wrong. Now, if you know anything about it, you know that he did. So why, why on earth would the Associated Press say President Trump was wrong? Well, because, oh, I wish I had a drum roll sound effect for this, because Barack Obama 
didn't call it a child separation policy. You got that? Oh, yeah, look, I do. It wasn't called a child separation policy. Therefore, it wasn't a child separation policy, according to the Associated Press. Yes, they acknowledge in their fact check that Barack Obama's policy actually resulted in children being separated from parents in holding facilities to ascertain if the parents were legitimately their parents, but it was not called a child separation policy. Therefore, it was not a child separation policy. What a bunch of garbage. Is it any wonder that no one trusts the media these days? Here's the Attorney General of the United States earlier today addressing Congress on this issue. The problem we face on our southern border uh, is is uh, really unprecedented. Not just the the volume and the makeup of the people coming across from an immigration policy standpoint, but by the strength of the criminal organizations in Mexico. One of the things that has uh, changed a lot in the 30 years uh, prior uh, when I was Attorney General has been the the strengthening of these criminal organizations in Mexico, these cartels that are not only getting, not only involved in multiple uh, kinds of drugs and the transportation of those drugs into and distribution in the United States, but also into human trafficking. Um, So attacking those transnational criminal organizations is a high priority. There was a car bomb that exploded today near Acapulco, Mexico. Was one of the drug cartels uh, exploded the car bomb. We don't get a lot of media coverage about this in the United States. And when you bring this up, uh, a lot of people get outraged by you bringing it up, even though it's true. Uh, Mexico is increasingly a failed political state. And I, I don't mean that disparagingly. It's just the reality of the situation, I'm afraid. Mexico is a failed uh, or failing political state. It is in the midst of a civil war. It is crumbling. Local uh, areas, local towns are taking their own law enforcement and security into their own hands because the Mexican government can't keep up with it. There's corruption. There's a lack of money. It's not going well for Mexico right now. We really genuinely do need to support Mexico. Uh, But that doesn't mean we should support them at the expense of our own citizens. And the cartels in Mexico are a real threat. And you're not allowed to point that out because in in the same way, you're you're not allowed to criticize Pete Buttigieg. Uh, We we just discovered this the other day. A friend of mine who actually uh, has been a vocal supporter of gay marriage for years criticized Buttigieg and was accused of being a homophobe. It's what the left does these days. You criticize Mexico, suddenly you're being racist. And it's not true, but that's what they do. And this is a point where we really need to have a serious conversation about Mexico because it is a fact. It is a fact certain that the Mexican state is unable to take care of itself. And as a result, it's causing all sorts of problems. And we've got a cartel situation down there that must be dealt with. And no one wants to deal with it except President Trump. You guys, my family has become dedicated users of Calm. Calm is an app, and Calm puts my kids to sleep at night. It it really does put my kids to sleep at night. It's so funny. My youngest is 10, 
and listens to a story about Jupiter and its moons, and he can't tell me how the story ends, and it frustrates him deeply, but he hears the story, and he goes to sleep. And he loves that he goes to sleep, but he also tries to challenge himself to stay awake, and he can't. Uh, it, it's very, very funny. It, so it, Calm doesn't just do, uh, isn't just a sleep app. It's also for meditation. Um, they have all sorts of spoken word formats and music for sleep, for meditation, for relaxation. They've got guided meditations on issues like anxiety, stress, and focus, including a brand new meditation each day. If you head to calm.com slash Eric, you'll get 25% off a Calm premium subscription. Uh, my family, we pay for a Calm premium subscription. They, they don't actually give me the subscription. I actually pay and was a Calm user before doing this uh, doing this ad on pod, podcast. Uh, it is a great, great app. I actually do believe in this app. We use it in our house. My daughter, my son, my wife, even me when I'm traveling and I'm in hotel rooms, particularly hotel rooms where there's road noise, I fire up the Calm app. It stays on my phone and my iPad. Right now, get 25% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash Eric. That's C-A-L-M dot com slash Eric. Get unlimited access to all of Calm's content today at calm.com slash Eric. Get calm, stop stop stressing, and start sleeping. Alrighty, as I promised, I want to go to the phones. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Chris in Woodstock, thank you very much for being patient. Hey, thank you so much for taking my call, Eric. You mentioned earlier that the president might not know exactly what to do at the southern border. And I actually think it might be a little bit refreshing to hear a politician stand up behind the microphone and say, you know, we have a complex issue and I don't know exactly what might fix it, but I'm going to try something. And if it doesn't work, I'm going to try something else. And I think it might buy him some goodwill with the American people if he has to do some things like separating children from families that are unpopular to just admit, I've got to try and figure out what to do to stem this tide. So I'm going to keep working at it until I find the right mix of of actions that take care of it. Yeah, you know, so here's part of the problem if we really want to be honest about it, and we do, is that the president has a number of ideas that he thinks would work. But federal judges keep blocking it because Congress hasn't gone along. And congressional Democrats believe they can capitalize on this issue with Hispanic voters, so they don't actually want to deal with the issue at the southern border. And I I, I got a sneaking suspicion that this is actually going to come back to haunt the Democrats because uh, we do know that there is an increase in violence and crime along the southern border right now, as a lot of the people who are coming over uh, are not necessarily the, the best people. And I don't mean that to to say that the people seeking asylum in this country are bad, they're not the only ones coming, though. Uh, there are some people who are coming for less than savory means. And you do have, I mean, for example, for God's sake, she had CBS News, of all things, tried to do a uh, hagiographic profile of the coyotes, the not, not coyotes the animal, but coyotes the human traffickers who are smuggling people across the border as if they're the hero in this. This is... This is not right. It's crazy. Um, so the president does have some ideas, and he just can't get Congress to go along. And he's got left-wing federal judges in San Francisco blocking him, and that's a problem. Back to the phones we go. Robert and John's Creek, welcome. Thank you. Um, so my question quickly is, the House Ways and Means Committee is looking to get six years of Trump's tax records. 
the question I have is, if they do, they have to make, can they make them public, or do they have to keep it, pri- you know, well, uh, secret? So they have to keep it secret. You know, th- this this fuels the inner libertarian to me, Robert. I'm glad you raised this issue. So federal law, I had no idea this was federal law. Federal law allows the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee and his staff to request the income tax file of any American. Did you guys know this? I had no idea. And I mean, you, you got people in the media treating this as a matter of fact. And I, I, I really, I had no idea, but it, it's apparently the law. And there really isn't anything. The president's going to go to court and he's going to fight it. And I don't know that he can even fight it because it's the law. It's just, it's, it's mind numbing. And so they're, when they get these things, they're not allowed to share them. They cannot be made public. They cannot even be shared with other committee staffers. Does anyone believe that that's actually going to happen? I mean, do you really believe that the, the, the Democratic chairman of the House Ways and Means or his left-wing progressive activist staffers aren't going to leak the president's tax returns? I had a real, real, real hard time believing that they're going to keep this secret. Now, the president is, you should know, the president is going to court to fight this. I just don't know that he can do it. And there are a lot of even conservative legal scholars saying he really doesn't have grounds for this other than some threat of abuse. And that's a dubious argument. We'll see. Maybe he'll find a judge to help him out like the Democrats keep finding judges to help them out. Speaking of judges, let's go to John. You're going to be up next. Welcome. Hi, Eric. Hi there. Hi. Uh, My question is, how do federal judges get to overrule the president, especially in the case when he, he, he says we're full now and he wants to send them back across the border and let them apply for asylum in their country. And then some judge in San Francisco comes along and says, no, you can't do that. Yeah, so the problem is, and and Clarence Thomas has been pounding this drum for a while, is over time, uh, judges have started implementing uh, nationwide uh, restrictions on various actions, injunctions is the word I'm looking for. And that's constitutionally dubious. It's a very recent development, as a matter of fact. And Clarence Thomas has been um, urging uh, the court to consider this. Now, uh, along the way, what is happening is federal judges are taking Obama-era executive orders and essentially treating them as law. Now, the Supreme Court, you should understand, has been throwing – even the the progressives on the Supreme Court have been batting these down. But – Every time a judge does it, it requires an appeal. And that appeal, sometimes, if it's the Ninth Circuit, that has to get appealed. So it takes time for the president to be able to do this. The judges are essentially able to slow him down. I mean, even Elena Kagan and Stephen Breyer on the Supreme Court are saying, wait a second, an executive order is not a law. You can't treat an executive order like the law. The president, uh, a president makes an executive order, the next president can withdraw the executive order. But that's not stopping the judges from doing it. And it really is actually a problem. All right, y'all, one more check of the radar inside the perimeter north of I-20. Very, very, very bad storm right now. 
uh, all over the inside of the perimeter. And there's also, it extends out up towards Smyrna, Fair Oak, Marietta. Uh, things look like they're starting to wind down, though. The rain is starting to fade away everywhere other than that area and then the Villarica area as well. Uh, Dallas, Georgia, you just got uh, through the storm. Now, before I get out, I really, I really, really, okay, we'll have to do reparations tomorrow because I really want to talk about this because the trial started today. I'm not big on a lot of these trials, but I'm fascinated by this one. Uh, 20 years ago, 20 years ago, a little boy's mother disappeared. And he was three years old and his mother, Bonnie Haim, disappeared. It was in... 1993 or so, January of 93, Bonnie Haim disappeared. And the little boy, Aaron Haim, said, Daddy hurt Mommy. Daddy shot Mommy. Daddy could not wake up Mommy. And no one believed him. Bonnie Haim's parents didn't believe him. His father's parents didn't believe him. None of his relatives believed him. And he was convinced, convinced that daddy shot mommy. And so he finally, 20 years later, sued his dad for wrongful death based on his memory. And he won the case. And a jury gave him the house. And Aaron Haim and his brother-in-law began to tear up the backyard. Because Aaron was convinced his father had disposed of the mother in the yard. Now, the police found Bonnie Hames' car at the airport. Uh, The car seat was pushed back as if a taller person had been driving the car. They found a purse in a dumpster. It was all very suspicious. They always suspected the father was the one who had done it, but there was no evidence. There was no body. All there was was a a three-year-old who said, Daddy hurt Mommy. Daddy shot mommy. Daddy couldn't wake up mommy. And his story changed over the years. Well, Aaron Haim and his brother-in-law earlier this year, they dug up the backyard and they couldn't find the body. Well, then they realized that their father had refused to allow people to change up the swimming pool area. So they dug up the swimming pool and the shower next to the swimming pool. And there they found body Haim and a bullet casing from a 22 rifle that appears to have come from his father's gun. And the father is on trial today in Jacksonville, Florida. Aaron Haim bringing up his memory. 